now. This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem van Dender and shortly, and of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit, Derek Dyson, will be joining us throughout the show. And first up, of course, we pre-end A-League men's grand final with longtime friend of the show, Simon Hill from 10 Paramount+. Plus. Of course, it's Melbourne City versus the Central Coast Mariners in a championship decider, but between the top two teams. City are commanding favourites, but in a one-off decider, we all know anything can happen. So Nick Montgomery's side are right in this. Of course, Simon, we'll be just a little bit happy that the City side from Melbourne's parent club, Manchester, are Premier League champions again and set to face the final summit of the Champions League in less than two weeks. So I'm sure we'll ask a question or two about that as well. Then Adriano Del Monte out here from ESPN and a bunch of other fantastic media outlets will look back on the title-winning season of Napoli, a season a week out from the City uh, R conclusion and ahead at Inter Milan's chances of spoiling Pep Guardiola's party in that very final. And of also the clean sweep of Italian sides in all the European Cup finals. That will be a great chat with Adriano and we will wrap it up with World Cup Corner. So Edge had the week off last week. Enjoyed listening to the show uh, and stoppage time with uh, with you and Willem and uh, uh, Derek. Um, particularly Nick Montgomery. What a, what a great chat that was um, and insight ahead of the grand final. It certainly was, Rob, and welcome back to the chair for this week's program. What about last weekend, one of my favourite weeks of club football? Obviously, the last round of the Premier League, the last round of the Bundesliga, the EFL Championship playoff final. But I just have to say from the top, I was engrossed by the match Borussia Dortmund versus Mainz. It was, you just couldn't look away. It was train wreck stuff. Mm. Dortmund, uh, Dortmund, the favourites to take out their first title since 2011 and 12. And if you reckon um, the Arsenal, uh, the Arsenal uh, bottled it this year. Borussia Dortmund, it, oh, it was you just couldn't look away. They went two down. They they fought their way back to two two. It was just an incredible day, an incredible crowd at that uh, magnificent stadium in Dortmund. But Bayern Munich and the the trials and tribulations. Um, Bayern um, in Cologne um, conceded a goal late in the game, and Dortmund were were, were in in the title hunt. Um, you know, even though they were only two one, and then uh, and then it all fell apart. And there was incredible imagery, the jeopardy of football, absolutely sensational. Will, what drew your gaze this weekend? Well, let's start there. I know you were sitting up late watching it in BKK there, Michael. Uh, what have they done with one hundred twenty thousand? Liters of beer that have been ordered for uh, for Borussia Dortmund. That really is putting the beer before you. That's a bit of a sad waste. But for Thomas Tuchel, that's landed in his lap. Nagelsmann was the man who took them through the vast majority of this season. Tuchel took them pretty much from first to second, staggered through, and then uh, that really is uh, a bit of a gift. Oh, it certainly is. They, uh, they uh, grabbed defeat out of the jaws of championship victory, Borussia Dortmund. I felt for their fans. Um, they were such incredible supporters for the entire... I mean, as for all football fans, but that club in particular, that really was a, um, jeopardy of epic proportions. And, of course, we can't not uh, mention uh, our good mate uh, Rob Tanner at Leicester. Uh, he'll be feeling it, along with all of the Leicester fans. They were uh, they got a goal early, um, and they were you know in the, um, in the seat to stay in the Premier League until Everton uh, got over the top. Um, of a plucky Bournemouth, uh, it was it was jeopardy stuff. Um, 
But uh, unfortunately for Leicester City and Harry Sutar, who we love on this program, uh, they'll be in the championship next year. Yeah, we'll come back to Harry in a little bit. Um, you've darted around there a touch edge, so we'll go back to the uh, we'll go back to the top and start domestically. Melbourne City skipper Scott Jamison uh, has announced that he's going to retire following Saturday's grand final. He debuted for Adelaide United in 2008 and went on to amass over 350 A League appearances across five clubs, most recently and probably most lasting in terms of a legacy with City, uh, where he captained their breakthrough 2020-21 championship. He's a four-cap Socceroo. He played a season in Sweden, and he's going to move straight into City's coaching staff. And I think, uh, crucially as well, Rob, he got it. Statesman, advocate, really good with the press, um, and was never shy of an opinion on, on the whole of the game, and he only did that out of passion to sort of drive us forward. And I think if everyone understood uh, where the game sits in this country in terms of, uh, in terms of the media... Uh, I think we'd be in a much better position uh, if everyone understood it as Jamo did, I should say. Well, couldn't agree with you more, mate. He, he's been a supporter of ours since day one, always ready to come on, always uh, ready to give an honest opinion, uh, not rolling out the cliches of football uh, when we spoke to him. And that was the same, uh, Scott Jamison, across the, the media, uh, like you say. Um, and, and this is time to, to praise a, a, a a great A-League player um, as he exits the, the game in this country. But... There's a, a real lesson for football in this country to, to be learned, uh, a game that, that needs every bit of good publicity that it can. And uh, as as we know, as one of the voices of football in this country, you don't have to be the largest, but we, uh, we talk uh, quite easily to people around the world, uh, always ready to take a call, always ready to share an opinion. But sometimes in this country, people are hard to pin down and to secure for discussions and interviews. Uh, Scott Jamison wasn't one of those. So uh, I hope a few people in football around the, the, uh, the nation and learn a few lessons from him and um, and pick up the baton uh, as he uh, exits uh, exits this stage, mate. And Edge, if you close your eyes and think of a Scott Jamison footballing act over the 16 years he's been in the A-League, what is it? What comes to mind? I oh, just his consistency. I mean, he's always a, a competitor, isn't he? he? He always presented the clubs that he played for very, very well. I mean, he's just, as you mentioned, a statesman. Um, he's an aggressive player. He never uh, shirked the challenge. Did he? And he always, I think, great, gave great, great value to his coaches and a very dependable player. Yeah, I would have had him sliding in, taking ball and all and getting up and giving a spray to the ref, spit flying out of the teeth. He was uh, he was wholly invested for all 375-odd games uh, that he played in our league. To the league broadly, A-League club executives have been briefed on a plan to see promotion and relegation integrated into the top flight. Bear with me here. The structure would see more clubs fed into the professional system, eventually splitting into two. That would include a protection mechanism that would prevent the big A-League clubs, and by that we mean the top flight license holders, uh, from dropping into a third tier. Uh, so Edge, Vince Regari had the story here and there were some nice diagrams uh, with the piece that sort of made more sense than I might have there. But he's reported the plan's been received favourably by those club bosses. Uh, they see it as a fair compromise of, including some relegation jeopardy, but also in honouring their licences that they do hold uh, until 2034. They've looked at what Japan did, uh, expanding from J1 to J2 to J3. It's a similar type of model that was put in place uh, quite successfully in Japan. Obviously, a much bigger market in Japan for football than there is here in Australia. But, um, yeah, I think it's incredibly exciting. I quite like it, actually, uh, when I read the article and spoke to a few people. Uh, I'm quite excited about it. Um, but I understand they haven't floated it yet with Football Australia, who are the custodians and the real driver of the second tier of football. So they would need to tick off on it. And I'm not sure the AAFC are too... Uh, enamored by it as well because um, it, it means a longer road to 
the top flight professional football for clubs that might participate in uh, the second division. And if you want a little more on it, uh, tune into stoppage time a little later in the week. I'm going to go into it in a little bit more detail in uh, in my hot topic for, for that show. Luton Town, back in the English top flight after 31 years. They defeated Coventry City on penalties in the championship playoff final. It was one all after extra time. The first 11 penalties of the shootout were then confer- converted before Coventry's Fankati Dabo blasted over the bar, sealing Luton's rise. Hatter's captain Tom Lockyer cl- uh, Sorry, celebrated the final whistle from hospital, having collapsed on the pitch in the first half, but he's since been confirmed conscious and responsive. So it looks like that's going to have uh, a nice resolution as opposed to a disastrous one, Rob. Uh, that's everything we like uh, about football, little old Luton Town. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, Kenilworth Road, uh, we've talked about that. Uh, venue. Yeah, 11,000 um, uh, capacity. Uh, it needs $10 million spent on the renovation. It's it's just a fantastic story. And, and uh, yeah, a sad story for the for, for Coventry. Uh, a real good mate of mine was uh, was sitting up uh, in the in the dark hours, desperate for, for them to win. And uh, poor old fan Caddy, I don't think I'd want to be him rolling around the seats the streets of Coventry City right now, blasting that one over the top. But it had to be someone. Someone was going to either miss yep. or have one saved. It wasn't going to go on forever. But, jeez, uh, um, Luton Town, you never would have thought they'd be up. And uh, and, and the, 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 the wealthiest squad in the history of the Premier League would be relegated uh, uh, the Leicester City Foxes. And Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, as, as for Leeds and Leicester edge, they were pretty abject relegations. I mean, usually we see sides struggle. Southampton were out of it a long time ago. But for sides that are alive, we can usually see, you know, a manager change, something something gets flipped around. There's a response at some point. But both of those sides, once they started to slide, really just rolled right on out of the Premier League. Well, that's what happens when you get relegated. You normally have a losing streak of epic proportions. And that's what happened to Leicester. There's an incredible disappointment for that, uh, that club. Um, you know, not long ago where we uh, celebrating their achievements uh, at the top of the pile. So uh, they have slid out of it. And a very dangerous time for Leicester now. They must need to regroup and get back into the Premier League straight away. The good clubs do that. But as we know, from time from time to time, a club not only slides uh, out of the Premier League, they, they find it hard to stay in the Championship as well. So let's hope Leicester can get their act together. We'll roll on to Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Sam Kerr at the double to confirm Chelsea's fourth straight English Women's Super League title. That took her to 29 in all competitions for the season. She said it gets better every year, it gets harder every year, but I think that makes it more sweet. Edge, Hayley Rasso looks to have played her last game for Man City uh, onto arguably bigger and better things. A move to Real Madrid, uh, reported by the BBC. Personal terms agreed, just sorting through the medical. I believe she'll be the first Australian uh, male or female to play at one of the great clubs in the world. Uh, unbelievable. The kamikaze kid, as I call her, or ribbons, as she's known uh, all throughout North America for wearing the ribbons in her hair. Hayley Rasso, one of my favourite Matildas. I hope, I hope if she goes to Real Madrid in the reports are correct, uh, she has the time of her life and scores plenty of goals and, and develops a, a great relationship with the Real Madrid fans like uh, she has wherever she's played. Steph Catley back for Arsenal in really positive news, playing a full match against Aston Villa. Uh, they ended up second, did the Gunners. More minutes for Remy Seamson, Courtney Nevin at Leicester and Claire Wheeler at Everton. Uh, and to the gents to close, Harry Souter earned man of the match honours for Leicester in their midweek draw with Newcastle, but was then left on the bench as their relegation was confirmed against West Ham. We might have a look at Harry's future uh, later on in the week in stoppage time. Uh, and congratulations as well to Alma Bill, who's a Czech champion with Sparta Prague. Been uh, an up and down few seasons since leaving Michelin, but he's played a key hand in a number of their games late in the season, Rob. So you, uh, you can't take the medal away from him now, a, a Czech champion. 
No, no, that's outstanding, Owen Beale. He's uh, he's a stalwart of Australian football, always there when the uh, the Socceroos are representing the country uh, on the top stage, and uh, and that is a, a pretty serious league. We know um, not uh, one of the the top five leagues in the world, uh, but you don't play a starting uh, lineup in a league like that and win the title uh, unless you're a good player. So uh, well done, Owen. All right, well, well done you. Um, after the break, we are going to talk to our good mate uh, from Ten and Paramount Plus, uh, Simon Hill, uh, ahead of the grand final this weekend. But he's also a pretty happy camper giving the state of his uh, his old club from Manchester City who've got the treble coming up as well. So we'll ask a few questions about that. So stick around, Simon Hill, next on Box to Box. Well, I love Hoyt Spices. Well, that's where I was last week when I was missing in action. I was with my good friend Johnny Accardo over in Perth um, enjoying the, the wonderful weather over there in WA. But back in Melbourne, it's cold and it's wintry. And Willem, I know you love cooking and you love eating. It's eating season, Rob. It's cold. You need to put on a little bit of warmth, a little bit of comfort food. Uh, it's chilly. What is it? Winter starting next week. So no, well and truly yeah. eating season and Hoyt's herbs and spices will get us through, I'm sure. You got it, mate. So what better during the cold weather than getting in the kitchen over the weekend and cooking while you're watching the football? We're going to have some cup finals, the FA Cup final this weekend. We've got the Champions League coming up. So if you're like me and you wake up to a media blackout and you love spending time on Sunday mornings watching the mini matches, the highlights, and uh, obviously the full game, if your club's playing, then get prepared to do something productive with your time by shopping on Saturday and cook up something delicious for dinner on Sunday evening while you're catching up on the games and maybe a few leftovers for sandwiches during the week with all your favourite herbs and spices from our friends Willem at Hoyts, of course. Yeah, exactly. What about the mouth-watering Sunday roast lamb? Do you love the roast lamb? For sure, 100%. Tasty rub is the way to go. Hoyts, smoked paprika, thyme, basil leaves, ground cumin and curry powder, mild or hot, it's up to you. And remember, refill your empty spice jars with Hoyts value packs. You'll be happy with Hoyts at Coles, Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyts, herbs and spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. A-League Grand Final Week is upon us once again, and in terms of resources, finances, and expectation, our two competitors make a genuine David and Goliath pairing. But in terms of form and ability, Melbourne City and the Central Coast Mariners are probably a bit closer than that. Simon Hill's provided the soundtrack to the A-League Grand Finals in years past, and he'll be back behind the mic this week for Channel 10 and Paramount+. Plus. G'day, Simon. Welcome back. Good to be with you guys. How are you? Well, thank you. We'll start with City. A fourth straight grand final, but if they were to lose this weekend, they'd have taken just one championship from those uh, four attempts, which would feel a bit of a waste for such a dominant side. We can debate all night as to why their three straight premierships don't garner more uh, recognition and respect in Australia. But for many, I think they really do need a second to to frank this era. Do you see them as favourites on the pitch heading in? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, the history books tell us that the premiers normally, not always, but normally win the grand final. And they've been so dominant this year, finishing 11 points clear of the Mariners. Um, I I think it would be difficult to argue that they don't deserve the title of champions. But of course, you know, the way we run things in Australia, the finals are everything. So uh, it's on the day. And that's not to say that the Mariners aren't fully capable of of winning the title because they are. Uh, We know they've got goals in them. They're in great form at the moment. Uh, But so are Melbourne City. Um, And... You know, I, I think on the day they will rightly start the favourites, but uh, 
they've got to justify that. And a fourth grand final for the Mariners and one that for a long time felt like it just might not come. I remember vividly maybe five or so years ago, you were on the Fox football podcast and it must have been a listener submission or something of the like and they were calling for them to be to be wound up. Such were the, yeah. the depths they were plumbing for such a long period of time. And you argued pretty vehemently that if you're going to grow these licenses and franchises into clubs, you can't just bin them off as soon as, as soon as things go wrong. This really, you know, they've moved to a point now where that sort of thing has been has been justified. Um, yeah, this story surely warms your warms your football heart. Uh, yeah, like no other, really. Well, of course it does. And you know, just to, to go back to that uh, point that that was made a few years ago, it wasn't that I was arguing that they necessarily deserve their seat at that point in time at the top table. But uh, without relegation, of course, the only other alternative to remove them from the top league was to fold them all together. And, you know, that for me is is not the way forward for football in Australia. When you create clubs, as we did out of nothing all those years ago, whether you think that's you know the correct thing to do or not, uh, they, they establish themselves, they start to create a history. So, you know, you're duty-bound to keep that club alive. Now, would I prefer a second division and promotion relegation? Absolutely, 100%. Um, but as things stand, of course, we don't have that. Anyway, uh, to, to the second point, yeah, it's a great story. And, um, you know, testament really to the work, not only of Nick Montgomery, but also Alan Stadgick before him, and a lot of people, no doubt, behind the scenes who've turned that club around because, really, they were they were nowhere they were down amongst the dead men not just you know getting the wooden spoon every year but bottom by quite some distance so they've obviously invested not just in their first team but you know clearly their academy as well which has been very fruitful for them uh, they've got a great mix of young kids and good experienced pros which is probably where the money side of things comes into it and they're well coached by Nick Montgomery, who's, you know, for me, should be the coach of the year. He's not going to be because he got a red card in one of the games, which uh, is, is another issue entirely. But um, I think they've had a terrific campaign. And, um, yeah, wouldn't be surprised if, if they won it at the weekend. Simon, I want to ask you, though, do you like this two-week break between the preliminary finals and the grand final? Would you have liked to have seen the grand final last weekend? Do you think it adds to build the momentum or do we sort of get lost in the weeds a bit? What do you think? Um, I would have liked to have seen it played the weekend just gone, if I'm yeah, being I honest. I think, you know, you, we had momentum after those semifinals. Uh, quite why we've done this, I, I don't know whether it's to do with organising tickets or travel plans for supporters coming up from Melbourne, uh, whether it was to do with, you know, the A-League All-Stars game that obviously didn't happen. I, I'm not quite sure, but uh, it seems a, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit odd to me you know, particularly when we're in the point of the, the year where the other codes are, you know, in full stride, uh, I would have thought it'd be better to continue with the momentum. But uh, anyway, it's a bit late for that. It's it's next weekend, so got to get on with it, haven't we? We certainly do. Now, off the top of the show, Willem um, talked about the impact <clears throat> of Scott Jamison, his retirement announcement, 375 matches. I think he's leading Sydney to their fourth A-League grand final. Can you just reflect on Scott's contribution to the A-League um, what he's meant to it. Uh, I think he's played with five clubs, but importantly, his role at City. Um, what's your reflections on Scott's uh, career within the A-League, Simon? Yeah, look, he's had a terrific career. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't forget he played for Australia as well, won four caps. Um, I think he was actually the Young Player of the Year back in 2008-09. 
or somewhere around there when he was with Adelaide United. So he's been one of those players that it's almost difficult to imagine the A-League without him. Um, and he's not just a good player, very good player. But he's also a good character as well. And, I, you know, I like Scotty because he's he's honest with his opinions. He's not frightened to uh, have his say on controversial issues, which a lot of footballers are. Um, and I think he's been a good ambassador, not just for his club, but for the, the league and for the game in general. I hope he's not going to be lost to football. Because to be honest, I think he'd probably have a very good career in the media if he wants it. Um, but anyway, that's for the future. Uh, he'll play his last game on on Saturday. It, it's a pity, I must say, that it's not going to be at Amy Park because uh, probably Melbourne City have earned that right. Anyway, that's another story. Um, and it will be nice for Scott, of course, to, to go out as a winner. Um, for a long time, he played. I think he played in about four or five grand finals and, and didn't win any of them. But uh, he finally got that monkey off his back a couple of years ago. Um, so he'll remembered, be remembered as um, you know an A League legend, I guess, um, record appearance holder for Melbourne City, where he's certainly made his home. Um, but uh, you know there'll be a fair few other clubs, as you've mentioned, that will have good memories of him as well, and uh, he'll be missed. You know the, the 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 secret to a good successful league is that in twenty years' time you look back and go, oh, do you remember that player? He was good, wasn't he? Um, and he's still involved with the club as a coach or an ambassador or in the media or something. We need to do a lot more of that because a lot of our players go missing once they retire. What are you most looking forward to in the game on the weekend, Simon? What's the for the neutral fan who loves football but may have not tuned into the narrative of the A League this season? Uh, you know, what are the two two things you're looking forward to this weekend, and what can uh, what's a good reason for? Um, a listener of our podcast that might not have been tuned into the A-League much this year to turn on the TV and take in all the atmosphere? Well, first of all, the occasion. Um, you know, a grand final in Australian sport is very special, no matter what the code is, and ours is no different. Uh, you can, you know, have your thoughts on whether the Premier's plate should ca- carry more weight, as, as Willem alluded to at the start of this chat, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but uh, Australian sports fans love grand finals. Uh, and, you know, there's normally a bit of drama around. You know, you remember the Brisbane Raw Mariners grand final of 2011 yeah, and, uh, you know, one or two others down the years. The Adelaide Western Sydney Wanderers one in 2016 sticks in my brain as well. What an occasion that was. Now, obviously, it's, you know, we've got something slightly different at the weekend um, with two teams not playing in their own city. But anyway... It's a grand final, so that's the first thing, and with all the pomp and ceremony that goes with it. And in a pure football sense, you know, these these two teams are the two best in the country because they've proved it. They finished one and two. They've won through the semifinals. They're both attacking teams. They like to score goals. And, you know, from a general football fan's point of view, even if you're not particularly aligned with either team, I think you can appreciate some of the young talent that's going around in both sides. Geordie Boss, who's about to play his last game before he heads off to Belgium. <clears throat> Excuse me. Aidan O'Neill might be doing something similar. He's heavily linked with the move to France. Marco Tilio. Um, you know, the likes uh, of uh, Nectar Triantis for the Central Coast Mariners. Josh Nisbet and Max Ballard, who've been terrific in the heart of midfield. Uh, for Nick Montgomery's team. And Jacob Farrell, who's uh, being kept out of the team at the moment by James McGarry. And he's a really good player as well. So I think there's a lot to get excited about ahead of this uh, you know, big occasion. And uh, hopefully the uh, the neutrals will tune in as, as well as the committed football fans. 
And Willem, of course, you get to listen to the voice of Australian football, Simon Hill, commentate the game as well, don't you, Willem? Of course, of course. So I'm in a couple of other matters to uh, round off on, leaving uh, Australia for the moment. Luton down, up into the Premier League, first time in the Premier League yeah. era. They've done so uh, the best of the game to, uh, to for, for sort of many purposes. Have you been to Kenilworth Road? And then sort of the cliched question, which is, you know, still worth considering. Can they stay up? <laughs> I have been to Kenilworth Road. Uh, I covered a game there many, many years ago, uh, doing commentary with a, a name from the past that Edge might remember, Larry Lloyd. Oh, Larry you know, Lloyd. Larry Lloyd, well, he played I from do. Nottingham Forest and, and Liverpool I before do. that, yeah. I think, won the European Cup. Yeah, it was many, many years ago. And it's, you know, it's a pretty decrepit old stadium. Um, <laughs> what do they call it? The Kenny, is that right? Yeah, they're looking to move somewhere. New. I mean, the, I think the away end is you have to pass through a, a little passageway that goes between two houses. Um, but they've earned it on the pitch. Uh, it's a great story. You know, they were in the old first division the year before the Premier League started, 91-92. And they got relegated and they went all the way down to non-league, had terrible financial problems, almost went out of business. And somehow they've survived and uh, managed to climb their way all the way back to the Premier League. It's, a, it's a, a magnificent story. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember Luton Town going to Wembley in the late 80s, <clears throat> winning the old, uh, I think it was called the Littlewoods Cup in those days, the League Cup, uh, the likes of Brian Steen and um, oh, I'm trying to think of one or two of the others, Mal Donaghy played for them, Ashley Grimes. Goodness me, how old I am. So it's great to see them back. Will they survive? Uh, will they play at the Kenny, though? Will, will, they play, will they play at the Kenny in the Premier League with an 11,000 capacity? Will they Will they actually do that? Of course. Yeah. No, I mean, Bournemouth have played at the Vitality with, yeah. I think their capacity is not that 18. much bigger, to be honest. So, um, you know, that's this is the great level of promotion relegation. You have to go to those, you know, small little grounds if, if they earn the right to play you and, and you've got to earn your right to, to win the three points. And, you know, this is why us purists bang on endlessly about promotion relegation in this country. But uh, anyway, it's, it's a great story. I'm, I'm delighted for them. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I hope they stay up. It'll be difficult for them. They'll have to spend a fair bit of money. Um, and of course, there's a great Australian link to uh, Luton Town as well. The great Adrian Noddy Alston played uh -huh. in the early 70s. Man City, champions again, verge of a treble and treble, and as close to coasting as you really can at that level. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking about you as they've lifted the lifted the trophies. This is your club, your family's club, um, and yeah, means the world to you. We've spoken about, you know, your dad still, you know, going. Um, to, uh, to the matches and all through the main road days and all of that. But you've also got a strong social conscience and a, an understanding of what it is to be a fan through through tough times, but also, you know, the knowledge of the growth of, of ownership over the past 15 mm -hmm. years or so. just wanted to read an excerpt from Jonathan Liu in The Guardian. This to me is a, uh, as a, a neutral Man City-wise summed it up. The overwhelming sensation here for the neutral is indifference, a shrug at the inexorable inevitability of hard power. Everybody in this sport is tainted a little, and even on this unlevel playing field, City fans have earned their moment of consummate triumph. By the same token, nobody else is obliged to feel anything about it whatsoever. So how do you feel as a, a Man City fan about the nature of this success and how you're seen in the football world? Not really hated, not really admired, just a bit of a procession, really. Well, so indifferent to it, you had to write an 1,800-word article about it. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's a little bit disingenuous, to be honest. He's a good writer, Jonathan Liu, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I've, I must have read about 100 articles saying that people don't care this week, which is kind of odd, really. They don't care. They don't write anything, do they? 
Um, you'd be surprised how much people care. Yeah. Um, they're very, very angry about City's success. And it, look, in some ways, I understand it. Um, there is obviously a big question mark against the finances. And as a City fan, I would like that to be resolved, uh, not just to get other fans off our back, but also I, I want as a fan those memories that I've built up over the last 12 years not to be tainted by the fact that they were won by ill-gotten gains mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, by overspending and breaching the rules. Now, you know, I've argued on many occasions and I continue to argue that I don't agree with those rules. I think they were set up to protect the old cartel of the G14, the establishment clubs, which strangely enough, are the ones that are whinging the loudest, of course, at the moment. Having said that, if you sign up to those rules, you are duty bound to abide by them. And City did that. So, you know, the, the sooner this investigation is concluded, and it's not going to be concluded for some time, uh, that's just the nature of it. But the sooner it's concluded and we get a definitive outcome, I think the better for everybody. And if City are guilty, then they will deserve sanction. And the City Football Group, who of course play a big part in football in Australia as well, will have to have some very, very serious questions asked about them, including about their involvement in football here in Australia. And I will be the first to be asking those questions, let me guarantee you that. However, in Western democracies, we do have this little thing called innocent until proven guilty. And at the moment, it appears to me that the court of fandom has decided that we're guilty. Now, it may well be that we are, but it's not been proven as yet. So <clears throat> let's wait and see what the outcome is. If they are guilty, throw the book at them. You'll get no complaint from me. I'll be more angry than anybody else because a lot of those memories that I have over the last 12 years will have been stained and tarnished. If they're innocent, however, or if the charges are not proven, then I wonder if we'll see a whole truckload of apologies from the likes <laughs> of Jonathan Lewis. Somehow I doubt it. I might have to offer one after that uh, question. So thank you for giving it to thank you for giving it the, uh, the the credibility that it may or may not have deserved there, Simon. Uh, this week, very exciting Mariners Grand Finals 2008, 2011, 2013, all brewing in their own right. So let's hope we're in for another another installation. Either way, Simon, thank you uh, once again for your time on Box to Box. Pleasure, guys. Good to talk to you. Stick around on the other side of the break. Rob and Derek are back with Adriano Del Monte at a very exciting time for Italian football. It's time to talk Chemist Warehouse, where you can get your favourite scents for less. Hey, Willem, there's Hugo Boss Orange 50ml Eau de Toilette for $29.99. Sounds good. A deal. Have you got any Christian Dior for me? Mate, I don't have Christian Dior for this week, but for the ladies in your life, I've got Ariana Grande Cloud 30ml Eau de Parfum for $39.99. How about that? That sounds pretty good. I can go with that. Yeah, like Ariana's music and her fragrances are fantastic as well. New and exclusive, another guy whose music I like, Guy Sebastian Embrace, 125ml Eau de Parfum for $49.99. And Derek, you are the man who um, who hails from Europe, the Mont Blanc legend. I think that would look good in your bathroom for 100 mils for $59.99. What do you think about that? Go with your Mont yeah, Blanc. It's a, great, it's, a great, it's a great price, Rob. And uh, yeah, I've been to Mont Blanc, so, uh, you know, good connection for me there. See, I don't knew there was something coming out of that. Jimmy Choo, Urban here, 100 mils for 79.99, and Willem Victor and Rolf Spice Bomb. 50 mils. 89 yeah, like a Spice Bomb? 89.99? Yeah, don't, don't mind a Spice Bomb when I jump in the bath after uh, after footy and get the legs 
Take me over with recovery. Spice bomb might just uh, make it smell a little bit better in there, Rob. <laughs> exactly, mate. Kept us warehouse. Well, on the great savings are every, every single day. As you lean back from your microphone, it's all good. Get out there to Chemist Warehouse and buy your fragrances. You get some outstanding deals this week. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chatting with our good friend Simon Hill just now about the A-League Grand Final and, of course, Manchester City as they uh, they prepare for their uh, FA Cup Final this weekend and the Champions League the following week against, of course, uh, Inter Milan. But uh, uh, talking of Italy, we are all um, just so rapt to see the, the return of, of Napoli three decades on from uh, the, uh, the feats of Diego Maradona at the stadium now named after the great Argentinian uh, is host to the champions, the Scudetto-winning Napoli, and the man who follows it as close as anybody, if not closer, is from various media outlets around the world. He's actually at Roland Garros covering the tennis right now, the French Open. Our good mate, Adriano Del Monte. How are you, Adriano? Very well, guys. Thanks for having me. And yes, at Roland Garros in Paris at the moment, but certainly uh, enjoying and still have plenty of football to cover for the remainder of the season. But what a story, Napoli. was incredible to cover that live and the party has been going for weeks and it will continue for many more weeks yet. Yeah, as you say, so it's been a few weeks now since they, they won that first Scudetto since 1990. It was a one-all draw against Udinese. Um, but as you say, the three-decade wait uh, is all the, the richer for, yeah. I think I'm saying it correctly, Adriano Ituciarelli. Ituciarelli, the little donkeys. Uh, um and, yeah. uh, and then I'll, we, so um, yeah, it, we've seen the vision, the reaction in Napoli, uh, and obviously we all watched the uh, the, the, the Maradona uh, documentary a few years back and, and saw you know just how passionate the Napolitani are um, and, and and how they're often regarded by the rest of the country. Having covered so much of Napoli this season, I have really learnt even more than I did before uh, about what football means to the people of Naples and. I'll go as far as saying there is no other city like it in the world. I, I have never, ever seen a city that identifies itself so much with football, its football club, and this victory, this triumph, this this whole season has been truly the most special I've covered in my career. I think it will be hard to top because, again, a city that is so synonymous, yes, given the fact that obviously Diego Maradona did play there, but just what it means it is an experience in itself, and I would encourage any football fan to immerse themselves one day at one point in the culture and city that is Naples because there truly is nothing like it. So for them to have done what they've done, uh, against all odds, no one gave them a chance at the start of the season. <clears throat> Many were saying that perhaps they'd finish outside of the top four. I had them finishing in fourth. I, I did not envisage that this was possible. They lost so many stars in the offseason. They lost club legends. And they replaced them with some some unknown lesser names that these players have come in and, and taken this club to another level. Luciano Spalletti has done extraordinary things. Victor Ossiman has undoubtedly been the MVP of uh, the campaign, closely followed by new signing Cavazzaglia. But just so many special stories within the broader picture of uh, what is a tremendous achievement for a truly unique city. And Spalletti has been given all the plaudits. The 64-year-old took over in July 2021, uh, third in his first season. Um, we're, we're hearing reports that he's going to take a, a, a year-long sabbatical. Um, uh, what, what do you know about that? Yeah, that's pretty much confirmed. The president, De Laurentiis, 
confirmed that uh, on the weekend. And look, he's a successful film director, successful businessman, but from all reports, uh, maybe a, a tough president to deal with at times. And look, I think over the last 24 months for, for Spalletti, someone who obviously has been a top, top-tier Italian coach for a long period without the success and the silverware really to, to show for it, I think it's taken its toll. A very difficult, draining, grueling two years. But look, in the end, uh, Spalletti has his reasons. It, there was some talk that he would be immediately linked to new roles, but the word is now will be a sabbatical. So whether he returns to Napoli after it, I, I would highly doubt that. I think Napoli now, given where they're at, given the fact they'll be back in the Champions League in pot one with a good chance of, of going very deep in that tournament again, I think they will be targeting a really top, top-tier manager. And there have already been some big names linked to the post. But for Spalletti, look, I think he, whatever happens next, I think this will certainly be the pinnacle of, of his uh, coaching career. It is quite extraordinary. So a special story again. There's three clubs whose season isn't really over with three finalists in the three European uh, tournaments uh, this year, which is tremendous from a Serie A point of view. I'm sure it will be good for the coefficient. But starting with Inter, what's the mood like with Inter? They've, they've got this absolutely colossal task ahead of them uh, with this uh, all-conquering City team. Is there a quiet confidence that they can go and upset the apple car a bit like they did when they won the tournament under Mourinho? What's what's morale like? Yeah, look, obviously Manchester City will come in as the favourites for for this match, no doubt about that. Inter is certainly aware of it, but I think with Inter Milan at this point in time, they've just secured themselves top four in Serie A as well, so obviously that guarantees them Champions League football next season, takes even more pressure off this Champions League final. I think they come in in really good form, and I think that's important to know because this has been an interesting team at times this season that have been absolutely woeful. So their, their fluctuations, their ups and downs this season, they're coming together at the right time, and a lot of that has been shown in the recent form of Romelu Lukaku, who has recently returned to full fitness, and we're starting to see glimpses of the player that was under Antonio Conte. This is an inter-team that is strong across every single line from Onana in goal, who has been one of the top keepers in world football this season. Defensively, they've really, really consolidated. They're very tough to break down. and Look, obviously, a lot of attacking firepower for Manchester City, but there is a lot of confidence within that Inter's defensive record in the Champions League this season will make it very difficult for Manchester City to have that freedom and you know, fast-flying attack that we've seen. In midfield, there is just a lot of depth. There's a lot of physicality. There's a lot of quality. That There is confidence that they can. Obviously, they won't have a lot of possession in this match, I'm expecting, but certainly that they can match it with the quality in the, in the middle of the park. But it's up top for Inter where there is hope because Lautaro, Lukaku, Edin Dzeko at times, not so much recently, but there is a lot of quality there. That obviously a team that will look to probably play on the counter in this match. They can make them pay in particularly Lautaro and Lukaku, who were absolutely instrumental in the Scudetto-winning season. They're really playing at a level that's the best we've seen all season. So there is confidence that Inter will put their best foot forward, whether or not that results in the title time will tell. But look, I go into this match, I'm really looking forward to covering this one in Istanbul. And I, I go in giving Inter certainly a chance. And we've seen Pep Guardiola be his own worst enemy in big moments at times before. So I think a bit of luck is required. But Inter at the level and the form we've seen of late, I certainly give them a chance. And of course, uh, Roma will be playing uh, Seville in the Europa mm-hmm. League final. And the one that really interests me is Fiorentina uh, versus West Ham. Um, 
Where have Urin seen it at? In my head, uh, Gabriel Batistuta is still knocking in goals up front for for and Solentino. I think my knowledge might be a bit dusty there. So, what kind of game are we expecting there? And and do you have a feeling for what the outcome might be? Look, I think these will be two fascinating games. I think uh, Sevilla Roma, the first one coming up. Uh, Wednesday evening here in Europe in Budapest is going to be fascinating given the fact that Sevilla have won six from six Europa League finals and Jose Mourinho has never lost a European final. Always drama expected. Fiorentina West Ham is, is going to be a very interesting one. I grew up idolizing Batistuta. In fact, Fiorentina for me was the first club I ever loved as a young kid and it was because of that man and I do also feel like he was around only yesterday but look Fiorentina a team uh, under their manager Vincenzo Italiano that have been building steadily uh, in his time in his tenure at the club a club that has incredibly made the two cup finals this year they recently lost the, the Coppa Italia final to Inter obviously no mean feat given Inter in the Champions League final and a team that have really been knocking on the door of of the top seven in European football, despite the quality in Serie A. So, look, I think a Fiorentina team that, with respect to West Ham, will come in full of confidence, fully... Well, they've been confident from the start of this competition. I I remember I was very fortunate to do the, the draw for the UEFA Europa League and UEFA Europa Conference League seasons in Istanbul at the start of the campaign. And I remember speaking to officials from Fiorentina after I completed the draw and they basically said, look... This is a tournament that they're going to take very seriously. And it's, it may sound a bit strange to say that, but this is something that Italian clubs have not historically done, taking especially, obviously, the UEFA Cup, Europa League, Conference League being new, seriously the, the second-tier European tournament. So Fiorentina have identified this competition as an opportunity to grow, build, and attract new players. And based on the performances, both domestically and in Europe this season, we've seen exactly that. And if they can cap it off with some silverware, They'll go into the Europa League next season, which will certainly uh, be of more advantage to them now going forward. So it should be a really fascinating battle. Obviously, West Ham, a lot of quality as well, probably haven't had the Premier League season they would have hoped for, but I think a lot to play for in a Fiorentina team. But who knows, if Roma can do it against Sevilla, Fiorentina could make it two from two for the Italian teams and it'll add a little bit of pressure to Inter to cap off what could be an incredible treble for the Italian clubs in Europe this season. Looking at an Italian plying his trade overseas, and that is uh, Roberto De Zerbi. Of course, uh, mm. Premier League has had an array of brilliant Italian managers, whether that be Conte, Ancelotti, Gianluca Vialli, etc. But Roberto De Zerbi has absolutely, you know, put himself uh, in, you know, as one of the contenders of managers for year in the Premier League. Mm. Has there been any reaction to this uh, in Italy? Are they acknowledging the job that he's done at this? Uh, Brighton team or was it a surprise or was this what people expected from this manager? Well look I think Pep Guardiola has come out and said it best he's been very public and open about how highly he views the ZB and, and did before and even more so now. Certainly in Italy it's uh, well it's no surprise he, he did uh, wonderful things with Sassuolo before moving before moving abroad and obviously the job that he took abroad at Shakhtar was uh, was difficult given the period and situation, but now at Brighton and obviously taking a smaller club to the Europa League for the first time in their history, it certainly has gained a lot of coverage in Italy and more so of the fact because incredibly, despite Italy's dominance in Europe this season, a large majority of the top clubs, their managers' jobs are not secure 
next season. And that includes Inter and Milan, perhaps now Inzaghi and Inter a little more secure given the Champions League final. But Inter, Milan, obviously Juventus, the situation there now, Napoli. So De Zebbi's name has been linked to, to every top club in Italy and has been the case uh, since joining Brighton. And even before he joined Brighton, there were a lot of, well, a lot of pundits, a lot of journalists and fans alike that were, were calling for De Zebbi to replace Allegri at Juve immediately. So he's very highly rated. He's certainly one to watch in the future and what he's been able to achieve in such short time in England is truly remarkable. And Adriana, before we let you go, every time we've had you on in recent times, we've asked you about uh, the Women's World Cup and the reaction, the build-up um, in Italy, uh, the level of attention. Uh, it's being paid. Um, obviously, uh, the Italian women uh, are... Uh, 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 playing their group matches in New Zealand. Milena Bertolini is uh, uh, probably one of the most uh, experienced managers um, in the competition. Uh, they're up against Argentina, Sweden, South Africa. Uh, are we seeing any build-up? Obviously, the men famously missing the last two World Cups. Uh, uh, any any uh, uh, articles we're seeing in the Gazette della Sport, uh, the Correa della Sera, you know, uh, is it on the radar just yet? This is the first season that Serie A has become officially professional in the women's side of the game and the season is just coming to an end now. Roma have won their first title. So there's been a lot of focus certainly on the Italian women in Serie A as we get to the World Cup. I certainly envisage the World Cup coverage to to really boom now. The Serie A season has just come, come to a close. There's one match to play the Coppa Italia final. Coverage of the women's game where it's at now compared to where it was 12 months ago, 24 months ago, we're, we're in a different universe now. So it's wonderful to see on the ground in Italy. But look, I think there's a, there is optimism, but it's going to be tough. Uh, Italy, like many countries, have sadly lost a couple of key players due to serious injuries, a couple of knee injuries for Italy as well. And uh, unfortunately, it's been those stories which have been uh, brought to light in recent weeks. But I think now... With the domestic season coming to a close, with the squads very soon to be announced, we are going to start to see the the, the coverage ramp up even further. And I, look, I, I think it's a it's oh, we've discussed before, but I think it's a really important tournament for these Italian women. I I think it will be tough, especially without a couple of key players. But I think they really need to get out of this group as they did uh, four years ago in France in what was a very difficult group, of course, with Australia, Brazil and Jamaica four years ago. This time around, look, Sweden are clear favourites to win the group and I think we will do so with nine points. But South Africa and Argentina, Italy should be beating these nations with respect. So I think a, a big test ahead without a couple of key players and then, look, a, a round of 16. The reason I say they need to get out of the group because a round of 16 match will be against the winner of the United States-Netherlands group, and that will very likely be the United States. And while Italy would uh, certainly be the underdogs coming in, I think a high-profile fixture of that ilk at a World Cup in a knockout stage is exactly what they need, just to continue that progression of uh, the narrative mm. that is women's football here in Italy. So, look, it's, uh, it is exciting. I can't wait to be back and cover it. I, I think it's uh, certainly going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to cover a World Cup in, in Australia. I'd love to see more World Cups in Australia, but I think uh, to have this now at this point in time, and certainly at this point in time in my career, it's going to be truly special. So, yeah, looking forward to it, but still a bit of football to be played before we get there. Yeah, absolutely. And if we get to, to reprise some of the, some of that vision of you uh, uh, celebrating Italy winning uh, that we saw in the Euros, <laughs> mate, then uh, I know the rest of my family uh, who, who hail from that part of the world as well will be very happy. I love you, mate. Looking forward to it. Good on you, mate. Well, 
Well, listen, see if you can boot home an Aussie. Um, I stayed up late uh, watching Tanasi Kokonakis uh, win his opening uh, round match and Storm Hunter as well, mate. So uh, with uh, with a few of the big names Lovely. out there, there might be a bit of a passage there as well. So uh, enjoy your time at Roland Garros and we'll, we'll see you when you, get, when you get home, Adriano. Much appreciated, guys. Pleasure as always. We'll chat soon. Good on you, mate. Adriano Del Monte, always generous with his time talking Italian football. Okay, stick around after the break. We're going to talk more Women's World Cup next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is World Cup Corner. We're about seven weeks away. Good chat with Adriano Del Monte. That question I uh, tossed in there at the very end suggests that the rest of the world is really starting to to take notice. It is coming around very, very soon, Willem, isn't it? Most certainly is, Rob. I think where we probably should start uh, for Women's World Cup Corner is that no news is probably, you know, as news was, not particularly good or bad. I'm going to ask Derek mm-hmm. if this is good or bad news in a minute. The broadcast situation in Europe. Uh, Gianni has been playing bad cop, threatening the blackout across the big five if they don't come up with a better offer. Um, yeah, surprising, is it, that we haven't had any news break either way uh, to this point? Yeah, well, there isn't long to go, is there, Willem? So you'd think that those um, those conversations must be going on behind the scenes, but I think it just goes to show that you know, dear Gianni can have a tantrum all he wants, but but ultimately, you know, the broadcasters have got a commercial responsibility and they have to put forward valuations based on how they're going to get the money back through advertising and sponsorship, etc. And and I, I I feel that it might be FIFA who has to uh, who has to actually give the ground because they've got a bunch of different sponsors on board. It's absolutely unthinkable for those sponsors that the games won't be played in or on TV in Western Europe. So they'll be defaulting on some pretty significant contracts there. So getting my crystal ball out, I'd say there's a lot going on behind the scenes and Gianni might be able to spin that he's got a good outcome. But, you know, I think I think the next move is probably him. FIFA have loosened the dates around club releases for players, meaning they're going to be able to begin uh, formal preparation a little bit earlier. Uh, clubs were meant to release players from July 10 edge. That's only 10 days out from the tournament opener on July 20. Uh, and for those with matches on, that remains the case. Uh, but for those whose seasons have finished, like the, the bulk of our Matildas in England and, and Europe uh, to a larger extent, that has been brought forward uh, to June 23. And as we glimpse uh, across at the enemy camp, Ireland still have three warm-up matches to come. Uh, they play Zambia and France at home before flying to Australia. And it's now been locked in that they're going to play Colombia behind closed doors in Brisbane on July 14. Getting exciting. All the teams are, are getting organised. But yeah, the, the, the breaking competition between uh, the professional leagues finishing up and when teams gather must be a little bit of a concern for nations participating. But I'm sure their strength and conditioning people have got it all sorted. They'll have uh, their players in enough work to make sure they're cherry ripe for the World Women's World Cup, Willem. And it would speak I think it's a good thing, isn't it? We've had that many injuries. We don't want these leagues going any longer. That's right. That's right. But, uh, yeah, no, that, that's true, obviously. But the Women's World Cup um, has been obviously on a, uh, a tour and it's just about to return to New Zealand and, uh, and Australia with them. So... Um, I just thought this was a good job for you. Uh, imagine being the chaperone for the FIFA Women's World Cup Tour, Willem. You'd be pretty good at that. Um, it's, it started off in Melbourne. I went to Tokyo. And then it's been to every continent on earth. 
Imagine having that gig just chaperoning the, the trophy around the place. I'm disappointed that it, I should say, when it's been to every continent on Earth, excluding Antarctica, I'm a bit disappointed they didn't take it down to Antarctica. They, I think they've missed an opportunity to uh, show it off to the penguins. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd be any good at it. I'd love to do it. That'd be a great role. But, I mean, you're the one who's made his living out of chaperoning people around the world at sporting tournaments. Speaking of chaperoning people around the world at sporting and tournaments, I know this is a, a little bit of a break from the Women's World Cup corner, Rob, but the under-20 FIFA Men's World Cup is on at the moment and the group stages have just concluded. So because it's World Cup corner, I thought I'd just mention a couple of results. Italy 3, Brazil 2 in the group stage. That was pretty good. South Korea beat France 2-1. Uh, another result that stood out to me was um, Colombia beating Japan 2-1 and England getting over the top of Iraq 3-2. Um, but interestingly enough, if we go to the knockout uh, phase of the event, the teams that didn't make through, the ones that uh, you might be a little bit surprised, Japan didn't make it through um, and also France didn't make it through, uh, which is interesting. And one of the teams that did make it through was Israel, not uh, a team that you would consider as being elite at the under-20 boys uh, level, but uh, yeah, that uh, will be interesting. The competitions in Argentina, and we get to the pointy edge of the uh, the tournament. Always interesting to see um, who will go on. The, the group winners: Argentina, United States, Colombia, Brazil, England, and Gambia. Believe it or not, uh, got through as a winner of Group Group F. So some exciting knockout matches to come up next week, starting from Wednesday. All right, and uh, you will be our correspondent, I'm sure, Michael. Um, have a good week, mate. You're going to take the pine for stoppage time this week, and um, and we'll miss you next week. You, you're going to um, take a break, get some business to attend to, so the boys will carry it home. Yes, that's it. I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. I'm just looking forward to listening in to stoppage time because I know, I know Derek will tell us what Luton is famous for. Hmm. Okay. We'll stand by. We won't uh, give you a spoiler before that happens. Derek, um, will you be doing that? I've got some facts about Luton, so we'll see if we uh, get those in. And thanks for the tip, gents, last week. I did manage to secure some World Cup tickets for me and my daughter. I think it's the Canada-Nigeria game. I'm thrilled that we're going to go and see something at a reasonable hour. Uh, mm -hmm. I haven't told her yet, but I think she'll be pretty excited. She'll have a lot of fun, absolutely guaranteed. Get on the Nigerian bandwagon. They are the superpower of African women's football. Let's hope they, uh, they're they in the, well and truly in the hunt of uh, that group at that stage. To and cop the tip if you're listening. If you haven't got your tickets, I'm telling everyone I talk to to get a hold of them. Um, I know right now that if you're in Sydney that you can still buy tickets for the England-Denmark game. So so that's one that's uh, that's definitely worth looking at. And if you're listening over in New Zealand, well, you can buy tickets for the football fern. So uh, snap them up. There's only seven weeks to go. Willem, I know you've got yours. Yes, uh, Germany, Morocco, and one of the round of 16s, Rob. Mm -hmm. And yes, yeah, still available as of last week. Yeah, excellent, mate. Well done. Okay, well, thanks again for listening to Box to Box. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Make sure you like us on Facebook as well, and please leave a lovely review for us. It really does help to pump us up the, the ratings and uh, and spread the the word of uh, of the football show that we are far and wide. And we would love you, as you'll generally do, join us throughout the week for those various podcasts and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.